So if you have your Bible in Acts chapter number 16, let's stand in reverence to the reading of the Bible and the Word of God. Now, notice wood with me, please. Uh, we start in verse number 6, Acts chapter number 16, verse number 6, uh, talking about Paul and Silas, as in when they had uh, gone through out Pergia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. And after they were come to Messiah, they essayed to go into Beth Bethany, but the Spirit suffered them not. Now notice in this passage of Scripture, there's two times that the Holy Ghost of God interrupted Paul's travels, and first he told him, Paul, you're not going to preach the word of God in Asia. Can you imagine God saying to the preacher, hey, 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 whoa, wait just a minute. You're not preaching. That's exactly what happened with the Apostle Paul as he went there. And then notice in verse number 7 uh, that again the Holy Spirit suffered them not. But now notice what happens in verse number 8. And they passing by at Messiah came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us uh, for to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, loosing from Torahs, uh, and I'm not going to go through all the scripture, uh, but notice that here, Paul had tried to go into Asia uh, to preach the gospel, and the Holy Ghost of God said, oh no, Paul, you're going to Macedonia. And God gave him a Macedonian call. Now I want to look at this for a minute, not so much on the call, but something that we'll flip to Philippians here and find out in just a moment, our text. But this is where God started the church at Macedonia specifically in Philippi, uh, the chief city, the capital city of, of Macedonia. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask God to meet with us tonight. Our fathers, we bow before you. We sure love you and thank you for the good day that you've given to us. Lord, we thank you for the rain. It's much needed, especially in our region and portion of the country. And Father, we thank you tonight for the goodness of the Lord. Thank you for all your blessings you bestowed upon us that we're so undeserving of. Thank you for life and health and strength. Thank you for our friends. Thank you for churches. Uh, just like White Graves Baptist Church, it sound, stands true on sound doctrine. Uh, for the preacher, for Brother Allen and his family, thank you for healing the family and been with them, giving them strength. And I would ask you, Lord, that you'll continue to meet with us in this conference. I'd ask you, Lord, that you'll do your work. Help us, I pray tonight, to understand the scriptures. And I pray that you'll help us to impart the truth of the Bible tonight. And God, that you'll help it to stick in the heart of your people. God, speak tonight, for we need you. Move in our midst, for we ask in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, in this passage of Scripture, again, uh, you find that Paul uh, goes into Macedonia. Uh, he preaches the gospel, and we find that uh, there are those that are saved and converted to the Lord. And we find that the Apostle Paul is thrown in jail in Macedonia, uh, he and Silas, and they begin to sing songs and hymns in the midnight hour. And we find that uh, the Philippian jailer gets saved and gives his life to the Lord. Uh, he takes uh, Paul and Silas to, their to his home. And uh, that night, the entire family was converted. The Bible said he and his family were baptized, both he and his family. And so we find that they were some of the first converts 
in the city of Philippi. Uh, Paul wrote a letter to the Philippian church. Uh, you and I know it as the book of Philippians. And out of all the books of the Bible, uh, while it was written, while Paul was in prison, it is known as the joy book of the Bible. Joy, rejoicing, and uh, rejoice evermore is found repeatedly in the book of Philippians. And uh, so it is a joy book of the Bible. But I've got good news for you tonight uh, to the church and those who are involved in the jails and the prisons. And that is that that church that Paul wrote about all the joy of the Lord, known as the joy book of the Bible, it had its beginnings in a maximum security prison uh, in a prison cell with Paul and Silas as they sang hymns in the midnight hour. And the officer got saved and his family got converted to Christ. They got baptized and they became some of the first members of the church of that uh, city. And then we find that as time goes on, notice if you would please in the book of Philippians as Paul wrote to them in Philippians chapter number four, look with me if you would please, just a couple of verses and I'll give you my text and thought and we'll get right into it tonight. Notice if you would please in verse number 13, we're all familiar with this verse, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And then notice in verse number 14, notwithstanding ye have well done, that you did communicate with my affliction. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of, my, of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, again, he's talking about the uh, Philippians, uh, Macedonia, the church that was established uh, in his uh, second missionary journey, which we read a portion out of his second journey uh, there in the book of Acts chapter number 16. And now he says that when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full of having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus." And so here God has used the Apostle Paul to establish a church at Philippi, the chief city of the Macedonian region. He would use these Christians and these churches of Macedonia in 2 Corinthians in chapter 8 to his letter to the church there at Corinth. And he'd use these Macedonian Christians as an example to the Corinthian church and Christians as to how they should be involved in sacrificial giving to world missions and evangelization. And so we find that Paul references in our text the giving of the Macedonian churches again, not only in 2 Corinthians 8, but also here in Philippians in chapter number 4. Now I want to bring out just a couple of things tonight, and I want to just speak to you tonight on a subject matter that is dreaded by most Christians. It is a subject that most Christians, in fact, it is a subject that a lot of Christians don't even believe exists in the New Testament. But I'm here to tell you tonight that the subject matter that I'm going to preach on, it's not only found in the Old Testament, it's rolled over into the New Testament and elevated in its emphasis and its importance. Now notice if you would please in the text, if you would with me for just a moment, he said, notwithstanding, ye, did ha or ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. 
Now, the word communication comes from an old Latin word, and it simply means to share or to have in common. So when you and I converse, we fellowship before and after church, and we converse, and we talk about certain things, and when you share with me and I share with you, we are bringing each other up to level on the level of our communication, our knowledge. If we talk on a subject matter, uh, for example, uh, we talked about flying airplanes a little bit last night, Uh, no instructions or anything like that, but we talked a little bit about it. And so I was brought up to a level of understanding that I didn't have prior to our conversation. And so the Latin word for communication means to have in common or to share in common. Uh, Communication is not two fellows in a ship, fellowship and an exchanging verbiage. It does have a part of that, but when we exchange verbiage, we are bringing each other up uh, knowledge-wise to the same level. And so Paul said, when I left the church at Thessalonica, notice what he said, In verse number 15, now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, he's talking about the beginning of his ministry and the second missionary journey. When I departed from Macedonia, no church, watch this, communicated with me. (coughs) Now, is he talking about churches that are writing Paul, uh, sending runners and so forth ahead to communicate with them about the church and the mission field? Oh no, that's not what he's talking about at all. Notice what he said, no church communicated with me concerning. Now he's nailing it down. Now Paul is talking about, he's going to nail down the type of communication that he is referencing in the text. Notice what he says, concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. You say, well, what kind of giving and receiving is we referencing? He's referencing the offerings that they sent to the Apostle Paul's ministry to help him in his missionary endeavors. He references it again in 2 Corinthians in chapter 8 when he talked about the Macedonians uh, giving. In fact, if you want to take your Bible and turn over there very uh, quickly with me tonight in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, we'll look at it very briefly. And uh, notice what Paul says concerning the church uh, there in Corinth in 2 Corinthians in chapter number 8 as we move there speedily. Notice what he says. Uh, Moreover in verse number 1, brethren, we do you to wit. And the word wit is just an old English word and it means to reveal or to uncover or to make known. And so he says of the grace of God, now watch this, bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, having great travel fiction, the abundance of their joy. And there it is again, the word joy is connected with the Philippian Christians and those of Macedonia and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power, I bear record, yea, beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. And so we find in this passage of scripture that Paul references once again, the giving ability of the churches of Macedonia and specifically he's referencing in the book of Philippians the church at Philippi and the poor persecuted churches uh, throughout the region. As we consider this matter, I want to speak to you for just a little bit tonight on the subject matter. Are you ready? Here's the dreaded subject, money and missions. Money and missions. You might want to send somebody back there as bouncers to guard the doors, preacher. I'm just kidding. Get a, some of you look like you ate persimmons for supper tonight. Huh? Money and missions. 
money and missions. It's as important as the missionaries that are here tonight. It is important as those that are without Christ that need a missionary to come because it takes money to get the gospel to the regions of the world. Uh, the Wilsons have a burning desire. It's obvious through his burden in his presentation tonight. And when they came through the missionary candidate school that they have a burden to get the gospel to the prisoner. But my friend, there it'll take finances to get them to the prisons to take the gospel of Jesus Christ into those facilities. Money and missions. So what, notice what Paul said in Philippians once again. He said, now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the, the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. But notice in verse number 16, for even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessity. And the word necessity in this passage of Scripture is referencing the material things that Paul needed for the evangelism of the gospel to the world to take the gospel of Jesus Christ and the saving grace of God to those that were without the gospel. He said, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And so Paul makes it very clear in his writing to the church at Corinth uh, concerning the necessities of the ministry. Now, I believe that there are three levels mentioned in the Bible. There are three levels of giving in the scriptures. And I'll, it's been years uh, since I've gone through these levels. In fact, uh, probably the last time I went over, it might have been over Brother Dorsey some years ago when I preached a conference for him, a stewardship meeting. But I want to know there are three levels of giving in the Bible. And I'm going to slow it down and teach just a little bit tonight if you'll bear with me and give me that privilege. And I'm going to anyway. There are three levels to give it in the Bible. There's the tithe, which is the introductory level. And then there's the offerings, which is the intermediate level. And then there's what you and I know as the mission giving. That is the ultimate level of giving in the scripture. But now there's three levels of giving. You don't start out on the third level and you don't start out on the second level. As a Christian, you start out down here on the first level because the tithe belongs to God, right? You say, now, we're in a missions conference. Why would you preach on tithing? But because before I get to the missions giving, I want you to understand what the tithe is and the second level of offerings because when we've understood these two introductory levels of giving in the Bible, we can move to the ultimate level of world missions and evangelization. It should never be in a missions conference that the mission support goes up through the roof and the offerings and the tithe goes down. All that means is people have shifted their tithes and their offerings to the missions. And the tithes and offerings, we're going to find out in a moment, belongs to God. And if you touch it, you're a thief. You say, preacher, that's kind of straightforward. Well, the prisoners like it straightforward. And I feel right at home preaching here at White Grace Baptist Church tonight. Notice in our text. He talks about the giving, the necessity of it. Now I want to, if I could tonight, just give you several things very briefly tonight on the tithe, and the Lord willing, we'll get into the level of the offerings very briefly. I want you to know first off that the tithe is mathematically, it's a tenth. 
And so a tenth of a dollar is 10 cents. A tenth of a hundred dollars is ten dollars. A tenth of a thousand dollars is, help me tonight, church. How much? It's a hundred dollars. A tithe off of a ten thousand dollars is a thousand dollars. And a hundred thousand is ten thousand. And a million is a hundred thousand. And on it goes. And so we find mathematically it is a tithe. You say, preacher, where do you get that from? I get it from the Bible, the book of Genesis, chapter number 22, uh, 28, verse number 22. And of all the tithe, or all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. And so we find that a tithe is a tenth. And uh, you've heard it, I'm sure, from others, but when I got saved and started reading my Bible and came across that tithe, I was reading it and pronouncing it tithy. I didn't know what a tithy was. I had to look it up in a dictionary and found out it wasn't a tithy, it was a tithe. But to some Christians, they get in a tithy when it comes time to tithe. I learned that one along the way, too. And so we find that it is a tithe. Mathematically, it's a tithe. And that means that it belongs to God. And the tithe, the tenth of everything we have, an income, it belongs to the Lord. It goes to the local church. We'll see storehouse tithing as we go through the Scripture. And I know what some are thinking tonight, if you don't believe in New Testament tithing, I think you're probably thinking, like a lot of people have said over the years, that's all in the Old Testament, right, preacher? Well, God established it in the Old Testament, but there's some things God moved from the Old Testament in the New Testament. Yes, he came to fulfill the law, and thank the Lord he did. He fulfilled the law, but there are some things he pulled out of the law, moved over into the New Testament, and in many cases, he actually set the standard higher than in the Old Testament. Now, some of you are looking at me like you don't believe that. Let me give you an example. In the Old Testament, if a man was caught in the act of adultery, a woman, you know what they did? They took him outside the city and stoned him to death. They had to be caught in the act of the adultery, though. In the New Testament, Jesus moved that over into the New Testament, but he set a higher standard. Do you know what he said is the standard in the New Testament? He said if a man looks on a woman to lust after, he's already committed adultery in his heart. He no longer has to get caught in the act of adultery. All he has to do is commit it in his heart, and God said he's committed the sin. He increased the standard. He pulled it from the Old Testament law, brought it into the New Testament, and increased or raised the standard. And there are many things from the Old Testament that God moves out of the Old Testament into the New Testament, and the tithe is one of them. We'll see it momentarily. Mathematically, it's a 10%. Scripturally, it was the law in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 14, 22, Thou shalt surely or truly tithe all the increase of thy seed in the field that bringeth forth year by year. And so God commanded it. He put it in the law. You see, offerings in Faith Promise Missions is a free will offering. We give that out of the generosity of our heart, out of our love toward God. That's why in 2 Corinthians he said, Now, therefore, prove the sincerity of your love. And so he says, You love God, put it into action. We'll get into that later. But the tithe is commanded. God commands it, and, and if we breach his command, we don't obey his law, we don't uh, do what he's commanded us to do, what is that? It's sin against God. Now, I am not a prosperity gospel preacher, God forbid. I don't believe if you give a dollar, God's obligated to give you $10, or if you give $10, God's obligated to give you 100 I've often told people, if that's your philosophy, I hope you give 10 and God takes another 100 
Be like one preacher I heard some years ago. He said, uh, it's more blessed to give than to receive, so you give and I'll receive. And his ministry didn't last too long. So we find that mathematically, it's a tithe, it's 10%. Scripturally, it's a law. Morally, it's a debt. You say, preacher, how do you figure that? In uh, Malachi 3.8, he said, will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? And God replies in tithes and offerings. Can you imagine someone robbing God in heaven? Is it even imaginable that someone could rob God? Who would approach the throne of God and uh, pull a pistol on him or uh, pull something out, a weapon of some sort, and rob the very throne of God? And yet God's people do it all the time. He asked this question. He said, will a man rob God? Well, that's a legitimate question. And so he asked it to Israel, God's people, will a man rob God? And evidently the answer is no, because they said, wherein have we robbed God? He said, you robbed him of your tithes and offerings. And so it is a clear-cut command. God has asked that we give a tenth to him. And there's multiple illustrations uh, that can be given tonight. Everyone, I believe, over the years, unless you're a young Christian, knows that J.C. Penney, and of course it's not what it used to be, but J.C. Penney started out, uh, he was a Christian and uh, said that, you know, he's going to reverse it. We give God 10% and keep 90%. He said, I'm going to give God 90% and I'm going to keep 10%. R.G. Letourneau, the, the, the great uh, earth-moving equipment and so forth, done the same thing, gave God a 90% of his income. And these men were multi-billionaires. You can never outgive God. It is a command. I've known lost people over the years that came up to me and said to me, Preacher, I'm not a Christian, but I tithe. I give 10% of everything that we get with our income and our business. And I've heard sinners say, unsaved people, lost people say, and God blesses me for my tithe. Morally, it's a debt. Economically, it's an investment. In Matthew chapter number 6 and verse number 20, he says, But lay up for yourself treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. It's a good investment to tithe and to give offerings and resources to world missions and evangelization and to lay up treasure in heaven. Notice in our text, I intentionally didn't read down through all of it. Notice, if you would please, in verse number 17 of Philippians chapter number 4, Paul said, not because I desire a gift. Paul said, I'm really not wanting your money to be getting your money for my own purposes. He said, I desire fruit that may abound to your account. And so Paul uh, talks about receiving the funds, investing it in the ministry, and investing it on their behalf. And our giving to the Lord is an investment. It's an investment in the church. It's an investment in missions. It's an investment in special projects of of the church reaching out in the community and missionaries on the mission field. And it's an investment in God's work and eternal sources. Spiritually, it's a blessing. 
In Malachi chapter number 3 and verse number 10, the Bible said, Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now. Herewith saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a, a, a blessing, that there shall be not room enough to receive it. Now, I don't know about you tonight, but I can receive, I could use all the blessings of heaven I could get. And if you want to get some of the blessings of heaven, be faithful in this area of tithe. And I know you be faithful in your prayer and your Bible study and, and in church attendance and so forth. But another way to add to those blessings is to give an offering to the Lord and give of your tithes. God said, I'll open the windows of heaven because they had paid their back tithe and that which they had taken from the Lord. Your tithe belongs to God. The Bible tells us in Leviticus chapter number 27, verse number 30, and all the tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. Do you know that when we keep God's tithe and we use his tithe, we're touching what God has sanctified and set apart for his glory? God closed up the windows of heaven in Malachi on his people because they were robbing of his tithe. And I believe there's a lot of people in our generation that are robbing God of his tithe and they can never get ahead financially, no matter how hard they try, no matter how many hours they work, no matter how many jobs they have, they just can't get ahead. I remember when Mrs. Ellis and I got married in the first house, Lord help us for the first house we lived in. I'm ashamed to even reference that house. It was deplorable. We tithed, we gave offerings. Our church at that time did not do faith promise missions, but took up missions offerings, and we gave to world missions and evangelization. There were times when we would sit down with a pen and paper, and we would go through everything and write it all down, and, and it just wouldn't compute, it wouldn't calculate. We couldn't afford, when you put it on pen and paper, to tithe and give back 10% in order to buy the groceries and put clothes on the children and, and to pay the, uh, the utilities and everything. We just didn't calculate. But God said that we were to tithe, and we put the tithe at the top of our budget list. And the first thing we did is give God what he commanded us to give. And you know, I can't put it on pen and paper. I can't explain it. We tried to. We went back and looked at it. And we never could figure out where it all came from. But every single month, at the end of the month, God had paid every bill. God had supplied every penny that we needed. God never failed us. It may not calculate on your calculator and on your smartphone, but I got news for you. God's calculation is a lot smarter than our smartphones. And I believe in storehouse tithing. I don't believe the tithe goes outside. Uh, in fact, at Rock of Ages, I have a policy with Miss Teresa and uh, Miss Terry Hamby and others who work in the financial department. I tell them, if you get a check from anyone and it says on their tithe, you send them back and I've got a form letter that goes with it. We do not accept tithes at Rock of Ages Ministries. Somebody say amen right there. You got awful quiet on me right there. We send it back. You say, why? I had a prisoner got mad at me some time ago. He sent a check several years ago. It was for $100, and he said, this is my tithe. I sent it back, and I said, I'm sorry, we don't take tithes. He called and got highly upset. I said, look, tithes go to the local church. He said, I don't have a local church. I said, find one. Tithes go to the local church. 
You say, well, where do you get that in the Bible? In Genesis chapter 28 and verse number 22, and this stone which I have set for a pillow shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. And so I believe in storehouse tithing. The tithe belongs to the church. God never gave us the authority, the right to redirect or re, um, appropriate the tithe. It belongs to him. He said, the tithe belongs to me. It's holy. I've sanctified it. I've set it apart. It belongs to me. Are you with me tonight? Then we find in Numbers 18 and 21. I'm getting to the New Testament in a moment. I'm just trying to work our way through the scriptures. Then you get to Numbers chapter number 18 and verse number 21, and we find the Old Testament tithe had a specific purpose. When Israel came out of the land of Egypt and the land of bondage and entered into the promised land, the land of Canaan, they were not given, the Levites were not given a possession of property and houses and land. And so God appropriated the tithe to go to the Levites and the tribe of Levi. And they were also in turn would tithe off of their resources. And the Old Testament, the tithe was appropriated for the Levites and those that worked in the tabernacle and the temple and in the work of God and went about the, the Lord's business in the Old Testament. In Numbers chapter 18 and verse number 21, he says, And behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tithe in Israel for an inheritance for their service which they serve, even the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. And so God very clearly designated the tithe as to its purpose and where it would be used. We find in number, uh, Nehemiah chapter number 13, verse 10 and 11, that it was paid uh, toward the priests and the Levites. They were supposed to have been, but they weren't giving it, and God rebukes them. Notice he says, and I perceive that the uh, portion of the Levites had not been given them. He's talking about the tithe, and the Levites and the singers that, that did the work were fled, every one to his field, and then contended I with rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. Nehemiah got stirred up because the tithe had not come in. And because a tithe had not come in, the ministry had suffered. The preachers, the priests, and the Levites had to go back to their fields and cultivate them in order to survive and live and for their family to have means to live on. Why? Because God's people quit tithing. Nehemiah said them, the Bible said, in their place. And then we have the New Testament tithe. You say, but wait a minute, preacher. The tithe isn't mentioned in the New Testament. I beg to differ with you. Bear with me tonight. In Luke chapter number 12 and verse number 42, But woe unto you, Pharisees, for you tithe, mint and rue and all manner of herbs and Passover judgment and the love of God. And then he says, These things ought you to have done. So he's saying these things that you're doing, you ought to continue to do it, but not to leave the other undone. And so they had quit tithing, and Jesus personally rebuked them and said, you ought to continue to tithe. You're doing all these things. Those are good. Keep doing them, but you ought not to leave the other things undone. And so Jesus himself in Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel establishes and substantiates the tithe and brings it from the Old Testament over into the New Testament. Notice in 1 Corinthians in chapter number 9, if you would please. 
In 1 Corinthians in chapter number 9, we'll go back to the uh, scriptures and I would like to bring out uh, to your attention a few things we find in this particular text. In 1 Corinthians in chapter number 9, what, notice what the Apostle Paul uh, says to the church there at Corinth. And in 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, notice what he says. Let's begin reading in verse number, let's begin in verse number 9. For it is written in the law of Moses. Now he's going back to the Old Testament law. For it is written in the law of Moses, thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for the oxen? And so now he goes back to Deuteronomy chapter number 25, if memory serves me correct, and he talks about Israel when they were, the oxen were treading out the corn and they would muzzle his mouth so that he could not eat while he was working. And God set a law in Israel and said, <coughs> you can't do that. If the ox is going to work and labor, you've got to allow him to eat of his labor and his work. Unmuzzle him, let him eat. And then he asks the question, Paul does now, writing in the New Testament to the church at Corinth, and he says this, does God take care of the ox? Well, obviously he does. He set a law to take care of the ox, right? But wait a minute, was that the real reason why God established the law? Notice, if you would please, in the following text. Say, I these things, or excuse me, um, in verse number 10, or saith he it all together for our sakes. So you know what Paul asked the question of the Corinthian church? When God established a law uh, in, under of the scriptures in Moses' time in Deuteronomy chapter number 25, was he just looking out for the ox? He said, oh no. He was looking from there all the way down through the centuries and looked into the New Testament with the New Testament preachers and he says this in this passage of scripture. Notice what he says. Or saith it all together for our sakes, for our sakes, no doubt this is written. You know what Paul says? When God established that law way back in the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy 25, he did take care of the ox, but he looked all the way over into the New Testament and he took care of his preachers. And when God set that law in Deuteronomy, it took care of the ox, but he really was doing it for the New Testament's sake. You see what he's done? He's brought it from the Old Testament and Christ is reestablishing it in the New Testament. Notice what he says in this text. Or saith it all together for our sakes. For our sake, no doubt, this is written. Watch this, that he that ploweth in hope and he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. Now notice what he says in verse number 11. If we, speaking of Paul and Silas, and those who are involved in ministry, if we have sown unto you spiritual things, in other words, those things which he preached, the doctrine of Christ and the truths of the Bible, if we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? What are carnal things? Worldly things or earthly things? Paul is not talking about taking advantage of the church. Paul is just saying that God reestablished the tithe and brought it over into the New Testament and a preacher who preaches the gospel, it's okay for him to live of the gospel. And I know there are some that abuse finances. I would not deny that. 
But God has established a way to take care of the preacher and his servants. I remember years ago, Dr. Ed Blue, the founder of Rock of Ages Ministries, if you didn't know Brother Blue, you ought to go back and find some of his tapes. He preached the paint off the wall. I remember him saying as a young preacher many times, if you don't like it, I'll put a knot on your head so big you'll have to climb a ladder to scratch it. And so you used to ugly make a freight train take a dirt road. And he just had these quotes that he'd use. Much like Dr. Garris would always say, look me in my God-given eyeball, Jack. He preached on a platform one time. Um, Dr. Jack Howells was preaching. Dr. Howells got it behind him. He said, I ain't never been told to look at somebody in their God-given eyeball so much in all my life. He was in a meeting one time and the preacher invited him over to the meal and they're sitting at the table. The preacher's quiet, he's not saying much and Brother Blue looked at him and he said, Preacher, what's going on? He said, we're fine, Preacher. He said, no, you're not. What's going on? He said, honestly, Brother Blue, we're, we're fine. And his wife said, well, if he ain't going to tell you, I'll tell you. The church is trying to starve us out. We hadn't gotten paid in quite some time, and they've not given us an offering or a salary or anything, and said, we're about to starve. They're trying to starve us out of the church. And Brother Blue said, is that a fact? Well, that night, Brother Blue got two of the biggest men in the church that was behind the preacher and put them at the back door and asked the ushers to come and to take up an offering with the offering plate. And when he found out some of the men that were trying to starve the preacher out and causing the problem, and they got the plate and passed it right by, Dr. Blue said, oh, wait just a minute. Take that plate back and linger till they give. You see, God has reappropriated from the Old Testament that the tithe went to the Levites and those who were working in the tabernacle and the temple to take care of the ministers, those that ministered about the holy things of the Lord, the spiritual things. He brought that principle into the New Testament. He established it with the Corinthian church and he said, just as the ox was able to eat of the corn and their labor, so the preacher can eat of his labor in the New Testament of his work in his ministry. And then Paul reminds them, he says, it's okay for a preacher to do that. Then he says, but I want to remind you, I didn't take advantage of that with you. You know why? Because that was a very prideful church. They had issues and Paul didn't want any of it. Notice if you would please, and I'll wrap this up if I could for just a moment. He says in this passage of scripture, uh, here he says, I um, in verse number 11, again, if I have sown unto you spiritual things, it is a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things. And then he tells him in verse number 12, he didn't partake of that, though it was okay for him to do it. But notice verse number 13, do you not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple, and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar? Even so, even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should Live of the gospel. And so he, and then in verse number 16, he uses the word necessity, and again, he brings it all over to the New Testament. And so he establishes the purpose of the tithe in the New Testament. I told you I was going to study a little bit with you tonight. You don't mind, do you? And so we find that he reestablished the tithe in the New Testament. I want to say again tonight, Tithes don't belong in the missions offering. 
When we take up the Faith Promise Missions offering tomorrow night, don't say, well, I, we'll just shift our tithes over there. Don't even put a penny over there. The tithe belongs to the local church. It belongs to God. It's used to help the supply the needs of your pastor and the staff and, and this local church to help pay the bills, and utilities, and et cetera. And then there's offerings. And let me give that to you real quick because I want to, and I'll be done. Notice if you would please, and I'm not going to go to all the scripture tonight for the sake of time, but then there's the offering. You see, the offerings are, um, if I could just put it this way, the offerings are above the tithe. The tithe's commanded, and then the offerings are free will offerings. Now, in the Old Testament, the offerings seem to be used mostly for construction or rebuilding. Let me give you an example. In the book of Exodus, chapter number 25, 1 and 2, And the Lord uh, spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart. Ye shall take my offering. It's interesting because sometimes I'm in churches and the pastor is saying, Now, we're not going to take an offering. We're going to give an offering. Well, God said he's going to take one. I'm not going to pick bones over it, all right? I think I found a good fishing pond tonight. You're awful quiet. And so we find God said, I want you to take an offering. Why? Because they were going to build a place for God um, where the Lord, the Shekinah cloud of glory, could uh, dwell with them. And notice, if you would, how did the children of Israel uh, give? It was an offering so that they could give from a willing heart. It would show how much they wanted God in their midst, in their presence, as a Shekinah cloud of glory would settle on the building and the worship and be in the very midst of Israel. So how bad did Israel want God in their midst when God asked for the offering? Well, Exodus 36 Three through six, and I'll not read all of it, but gives us that answer. And they received of Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of the sanctuary to make it withal. And they brought yet unto him free offerings every morning, and of all the wise men who wrought the work in the sanctuary, and etc. And then you go down, and the Bible says, The people, uh, they spake unto Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work of which the Lord commanded to make. And Moses gave commandment that they cause the people or to proclaim to the people throughout the camp, and saying, Let neither man or woman uh, make any more uh, work for the offering of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from giving. That proves they weren't Baptists in the Old Testament. Moses said, you tell them, we, we, don't, we don't need any more. We got more than we need. Thank God for a leader that didn't take advantage of God's people and just keep going and begging and pleading and breaking it in when the need had been met. But it was used for the construction, and then we have Joash's chest, and that was taken as a free will offering. And so offerings in the Old Testament, you have your tithe that was given to the workers of the ministry and, and the Levites, the tribal Levites, and the priests and the high priests. And then you have the offerings that were giving for special projects. And that's the way it is today. You take up special projects to help provide Bibles for missionaries, gospel tracts, and paper for printing presses, and whatever it is, maybe special needs in the church. And you take up offerings. And that's not commanded, but we give because it shows how much we love God. It proves our love for God. You see, the tithe, when we tithe, it just shows our obedience because it's a command. We have to obey it, or if we don't, we're in disobedience to it. So the tithe, it actually 
All it does is it shows our obedience to the Lord because it's a command. Our offerings shows our love for the Lord and how much we give to him. And years ago, and I'm going to close with this. Brother, would you come get ready for the invitation tonight? Years ago, I was preaching in the Panhandle of Florida, and this thought crossed my mind. Can we tell by looking at an individual the depth of their surrender? My answer to that question was no, absolutely not. You can't look at me and tell how surrendered I am to the Lord, and I can't look at you by your physique and your countenance and tell how surrendered you are of God. Looks can be deceptive. In fact, God told the Old Testament prophet, look not upon their foreheads or upon their faces. You know why? Because it can be deceiving, deceptive. And then the Holy Spirit of God seemed to speak to my heart and brought to remembrance a verse of Scripture. Where a man's treasure is, there will his heart be also. And it seemed like the Holy Ghost of God spoke my heart and said, you can see the depth of one's surrender by watching and judging their sacrifice. You see, I can be surrendered, but you won't know the depth of my surrender until you see the depth of my sacrifice. And when we sacrifice, we are showing the depth of our surrender. And I want to say tonight, I know after being in the ministry for 45 years and a missionary for almost 38 years, that the surrender will never surpass the sacrifice. You may be here tonight and say, oh, I'm fully surrendered to God. I've surrendered my life. I've surrendered my family. I've surrendered my finances. I've surrendered my future. I've surrendered it all to God. But if you're not sacrificing or willing to sacrifice, your surrender is nothing more than a wish. Because your surrender will never be greater than your sacrifice. Can I put it this way? And I'm not trying to be a smart elder tonight. God forbid. Sacrifice is putting our actions or our money where our mouth is. And that's what Paul told the church at Corinth. Now prove the sincerity of your love. You say you love God? Prove it. Prove it. How am I going to prove it, preacher? By your sacrifice. By laying your life on an altar and saying, God, everything I have is on this altar tonight. It's yours. Not your money, not your houses, not your homes, not your lands. The heart. God, I give you my heart. If God will get your heart, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Your treasure comes with it.